I'm gonna die. I'm gonna die historic on the Fury Road. Welcome to the Mad Max Minute. Andy Williams said it best. He ain't heavy. He's my brother. In Mad Max Fury Road, one minute at a time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about Minute 33, which begins with a pop and a fizzle, and it ends with Max gearing up for a confrontation. This opening moment was so predictable. (laughs) The shotgun dud. Of course it was a dud. You know, as I think back on the entire Mad Max series... I feel like we focus so often on the failures that this shotgun has. Not this one specifically, just the the multitude different sawed-off shotguns that Max has. And I went back and I thought to myself, okay, what were all of the times that Max fired his shotgun? So starting back in the first movie, and this is just from memory, it's not like I went back and watched all three of the movies to make sure. What?! I know. Mediocre. You would think I would do that. Back in the first movie, once Max loses Jesse and Sprague, that's when I see him beginning with the whole sawed-off shotgun thing. So I don't count any instances of him holding the weapons before that. So he uses the shotgun to kill Bubba Zanetti, and he threatens Johnny the Boy. And that's where the sawed-off shotgun comes in that first movie. Okay. Road Warrior, he obviously uses it to threaten the gyro captain. They go to the compound... Max makes the deal, heads back out, finds the gyrocopter again, and then when they discover the gyrocopter with the dead wastelander, it's revealed that Max has not had any shells at any point in the movie leading up to that. And that's where we get, oh, that's dishonest, low, that sort of thing. And so Max picks up a couple of shells. It's those shells, when Max is driving the rig back towards the compound, that fail on him when he's trying to shoot the Lord Humongous. So we've had one success with Bubba Zanetti, one failure with trying to shoot Humongous. And then once he gets back into the compound, he gets some shotgun shells from Big Rebecca. And those ones, for the rest of the movie, work perfectly fine. He's able to lean out the side of the rig and shoot the guys in the red car with the bat painted on the front of it. He shoots the bad cop on the roof and the, I want to say, mohawker hanging off the side of the rig. So that alone chalks up another three wins as far as shotgun shells are concerned. So we're four to one at this point. (laughs) And then he doesn't get a chance to fire it anymore because he hands off his shotgun to a literal feral child who doesn't know how it works. And the shotgun shells bounce everywhere and he has to climb out onto the hood to get them. Then Wes pops up and grabs the shotgun away. And it's the whole thing that is the climax of Road Warrior. And we don't see the shotgun again until beyond Thunderdome where he pulls it out and shoots the headdress off that one guard. So five successful shots to one dud so far, and he gives it to the weapon check guy, and it stays there forever, because Max never takes a ticket, and he never tries to go back and claim his stuff. So Max very much has an undeserved reputation. Yeah, I say phrases like bad luck with shotgun shells. If you want to percentage it out... Six successes over the first three movies versus two failures, if you include the one that we see here in Fury Road. I would argue that 
threatening the gyro captain with an empty shotgun, I would put that in the failure column because it is a shotgun that does not shoot shotgun shells. Well, here I am about to say that I don't want to get picky, but no, I do actually (laughs) do want to get picky. I'm talking about the effectiveness of the shells that Max chooses to use. Okay, I agree with you, but I think that action of Max's contributes to his reputation of being unsuccessful with a shotgun. Yeah, but that would throw off my metric. If we included every time he threatens someone with an empty shotgun... In fact, it's possible that that empty shotgun is doing more to affect his reputation of having ineffective shotguns than the number of actual failed shots. You see, I would actually think that his ability to bluff people and intimidate them with an unloaded weapon is actually a mark in his favor. It is until he gets caught. Then it no longer works, and it is now a failure. This is the only movie where he gets actively caught with the empty shotgun, because in Road Warrior, the bluff had long ended. Like, we were in a different situation where he was no longer threatening the person in question, meaning the gyro captain. Okay, that's true. I'll give it to you. So even by that metric, (laughs) Max's reputation of bad luck with shotguns is undeserved. I'll give you that. I will take it. The important thing is that in the grand scheme, Max, his success rate is higher than you would think. So no need to dog on him. Despite his track record being pretty good, this time it doesn't work. We get a pop, we get a fizzle. It's very reminiscent of Road Warrior. And Max holds up the shotgun, turns it around in his hand and just tosses it aside because it's not going to help in this instance here. Does Max then proceed to attempt to bite off Nux's thumb? I think so. Is that what's happening here? I think that's exactly what's happening here. And it's funny. I would say funny, ironic, not Mm. funny, comedic. Mm -hmm. Because Max is wearing a muzzle. The sole purpose of a muzzle is to prevent the muzzled thing from being able to bite. Thank goodness he was wearing a muzzle. Because if Max was determined, it wouldn't have taken him so long to actually inflict a serious amount of damage. He works on it for a couple of seconds before he gets distracted by the noise in the distance. So thank goodness it took him a while to work the thumb, like, through the bars and the muzzle into his mouth. All of the futzing around that he did, trying to get that hand close to his mouth, I don't know for sure that he actually did it. Do you think he actually did slip a thumb in there to start gnawing at it? (laughs) No, I don't think he really did. Not for lack of trying, for sure. Yeah, I think he really just couldn't get it in there. Not that the thumb couldn't reach his mouth. I think the thumb itself could reach his mouth fine, but biting off half the thumb isn't going to do it. You have to bite it off below that joint. You have to bite off like half of the palm. Yeah. To make the hand thin enough for the manacle to go over. Hmm. So, okay, maybe he got the thumb itself into his mouth, but it would have had to go much further in. He would have had to bite off a bunch of bone and a bunch of muscle. I would like to think that if Max had been left to his devices for a bit longer, if he had realized, okay, I'm not going to be able to bite this dude's hand off, he would have looked around and thought, okay, what can I find in here amongst the wreckage that can help me achieve this goal of separating myself from this person? He's surrounded by the wreckage of a car. There's got to be a couple of jagged pieces of metal, maybe some broken glass... Maybe even some maintenance tools. 
available to him that were stored on the Nux car that would be fairly close by. If you're not afraid of getting your hands dirty, which Max certainly is not, he's trying to bite someone's thumb off, especially with the things around there, he could get free. Oh, yeah. I don't think he needs to resort to trying to bite Nux's thumb off. Could have done it in better ways, I think. But Max certainly is feeling a sense of urgency. Yeah. We talked on Wednesday about this isn't a moment-to-moment emergency. He's got time. But Max has lived enough of his life out in the desert to know that that's not exactly true. Who knows how long he has? Mm. There is no food. There is some semblance of shelter with this crashed vehicle, something he could make to spend the night in. But there's no source of heat or light protection nothing he's gotta start moving somewhere off in the distance max hears something i think it's a distant banging noise if i remember right and so he looks out over the horizon and as if on cue the haze dissipates and in the distance we can see a little blob that looks a little bit like a war rig you say that the haze conveniently shifts, allowing us to see the war rig. But I think it's less about convenient haze and more about our attention is now focused, making that object more prominent. So it's not a mystical nature thing. It's an illustration of Max's focus? Exactly. Okay. You put it so well. I started following along where you were going about halfway through that. And I was like, okay, I think I know where this is going. We do it all the time on foggy days. Like you look out the window and oh my goodness, it's so foggy. How can anybody drive? But then you start driving and you focus on the road and you can see more because you're focused. Yeah. I find it interesting that the war rig didn't actually get that much farther because we saw it driving away as the next car was tumbling over itself on Monday. And now here, I'm not sure how far away the horizon would be in this situation, but it's not like it's prohibitively far. No, once the rig becomes clearly visible, it's really not that far away at all. I would say a few hundred yards. Really? That close? Yes. Okay. I really don't think it's that far away. I'm a bad judge of distance, so I'm not even going to try and venture a guess. I'm, I don't really think. I'm just thinking (laughs) about like football fields. Yeah. Maybe three football fields i don't know i'm not even gonna try nah nah. the point is it's a totally reasonable distance yeah it's also very reasonable for that sound to be carrying so now that he has a destination that he could travel to max drops nux's hand thankfully not trying to nod off anymore and he takes a couple of steps grabs nux's foot and pulls off his boot to replace the one that slit stole stole oh yeah i would say stole the way he pulled it off After getting kicked in the face? I don't know. Stole has the connotation of, I'm taking this away from you so that I can have it. At that point, Slit was trying to save his own life, and the boot just happened to be there. What verb would you use to describe Slit taking Max's boot? Okay, I can't think of a word. (laughs) I can't think of a word. That's fair. Because... I'm not looking at it from Slit's point of view. I'm looking at it from Max's point of view. Max lost his boot. It wasn't on purpose. It was an accident. So what's a word for somebody accidentally taking something that's not theirs with an inability to return it or not caring either way? I don't think Slit cared either way about the boot. It just came off. 
think that still just counts as stealing. No, 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 it's not stealing. What, it's borrowed without the intent of returning? No, it's not stealing. Listeners, we need you on this one. <laughs> what is the term for what Slit did to the boot? Yes. Go on the I Facebook page. I don't think that Slit did anything to the boot. I think Max lost his boot is the correct terminology. But okay. whatever. I'm, I'm very interested in what other people think about that consider this your call to action that we're supposed to do in internet type stuff Mm -hmm. please the important thing here is that max is taking nux's boot and that got me thinking what are the chances that tom hardy and nicholas holt have the same shoe size and so i did a little bit of digging online according to celebrityinside.com nicholas holt wears a u.s men's size 10 shoe I tried to find Tom Hardy on that site, couldn't find him, so I had to go somewhere else. I went to heightline.com to find out that Tom Hardy also wears a men's U.S. size 10 shoe. So the boot swapping situation is completely plausible. I also looked up Mel Gibson's shoe size, but I was unable to find that information. Okay, it's lucky that that worked out, but I don't think it would have mattered. I think in this kind of world... Especially this particular situation, you put something on your feet. A shoe and if is it a shoe. Doesn't fit, <laughs> you make it work. Either you tie the laces up super duper tight if it's too big so it doesn't slide around so much, or you slit the toe open if it's too small. Like you make it work. And that's just life now. You don't have any John McClane's out there running around barefoot in the wasteland. Well, I'm sure you do, but I'm sure they also don't last very long. Because <laughs> if Lieutenant Dan taught me anything, it's that you take care of your feet. Really? Was it Lieutenant Dan that was all about yes. foot care? Yes. Lieutenant Dan. Oh, ironic. We're going to leave Max and Nux behind for a while because we're going to cut over to Furiosa by the tanker. And she is using a wrench to bang on a sand clogged vent that's attached to the war rig. And she's also got her mechanical arm hanging nearby. This is the first time we're going to see her without her mechanical arm on. So it's a shorthand for they are in a somewhat, I wouldn't say relaxed mode, but they're not actively on their guard. Like they have a moment of respite. And so the wives are doing their thing. Furiosa is taking care of the war rig. She's taking the arm off to just breathe a little bit. This wrench is one of those gigantic wrenches that you see in movies i'm sure they exist in real life but heck i've never seen one and it is very satisfying the way that she's using it the thumping on bits of the truck Mm. to knock the sand off is very satisfying it's got a good thud to it Mm -hmm. now because i find information in just the weirdest places jiffylubeontario.com informs us too much sand or dust can clog the air filter and reduce airflow to the engine, which can lead to overheating and internal damage to your vehicle. And dust buildup, in particular, can also clog your cabin air filter and diminish an engine oil quality. So it makes sense that after driving through a literal sandstorm, that they would have to stop at one point to clear off some of the dust and sand that they've picked up driving through this storm. Part of being a good driver and also a good mechanic is taking care of your car it's the same thing as lieutenant dan saying take care of your feet every chance you get change your socks Mm -hmm. the first thing that you should be taking care of when we take a break is your feet so same thing this is their primary mode of transportation whenever they have the opportunity they need to take care of it i'm willing to bet that the whole reason that they're not moving right now 
is because this maintenance, for lack of a better term, is absolutely necessary. Yes, and we were talking earlier about how Furiosa is not that far away from where Nux and Max landed, because Nux and Max were the last pursuit car. So once they were taken care of, Furiosa could stop Mm -hmm. safely. And it's a lot easier to wait out the sandstorm stationary than it is driving. That way you don't accidentally drive off a cliff or something like that. I use a cliff as an example just because of Thunderdome. And also, there were other cars in the storm, but if they didn't see the war rig stop, they're just going to keep going and they're never going to find her. Yeah. But then again, now that means that they're ahead of her. But when in actuality, they're behind her. I'm willing to bet that Joe's fleet, as soon as they entered the sandstorm, because they gave that order to hunker down, even though the subtitles said hunt her down, but all of the vehicles got in line behind the Giga Horse, behind the Doof Wagon, and I think when they hit that sandstorm, they slowed way the heck down. Okay. So I think the idea of them still needing to catch up to the war rig is very viable because Joe has got to have some sort of protocol in place when it comes to sandstorms. They're living in a dusty apocalypse. They've got to have plans in place for that. Different formations that they go into. Mm -hmm. Getting back into the banging sound, though, what I really like about it is that Furiosa is sitting there. She's drumming on the side of the war rig. And as we transition from looking at her doing her thing to looking at Max as we peer underneath the tanker, the banging on the war rig translates to the banging drums in the soundtrack. And I really like how it does that little transition. Very much so. It makes you feel like the background music belongs there. Like it's more organic. And background music is made to help us lose ourselves in the moment. To support the images on the screen. But when they mesh so well with what's happening, it just improves that effect. Mm -hmm. I also really like this shot of Max carrying Nux appearing as just a little tiny spot in the distance underneath the tanker. You're just framed very nicely by the top of the tanker and the little hose coming down and the spare tire right next to them. They seem very small, but also very close. And as always, the framing is beautiful. That is the standard that we've come to expect. It's a high bar, but it's consistently met. And of course, now that we know where Max and Nux are, we can cut over to find them And we start off very low. We see Max is dragging the door. And as we pan up, it's another instance for us to be reminded that the reason that Max is carrying that door is because the chain is going through it. Otherwise, he would have left it behind. And then as we move up further, we see, okay, he's got Nux slung across his shoulders. And as he reaches the fuel pod, he stops for a moment and he raises the shotgun. And there's this little musical cue that happens, and he shakes it off. And I think he's getting ready. Well, I think it's a gentle reminder that Max, the entire time we have seen him in this movie, has been in the middle of a psychotic episode, which we haven't really talked about in a while. Hasn't really been part of the story in a little while, but he is still fighting that off. Absolutely. He's got to get back into that mindset of, all right, be intimidating. Make it seem like you don't have an unloaded shotgun. It's time to do this. Yep. Remember the gyro, Captain. It worked once before. It can Uh work again. (laughs) Exactly. The last thing we see this week is Max emerging from the fuel pod. It's only the last 
second or so of the minute. So we're just going to have to come back on Monday because Max is going to come face to face with Furiosa and the wives. Everything is super tense. And if I can be frank, there's a lot of water wasting going on. But I'm sure we'll talk about that when we come back after the weekend. The Mad Max Minute podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. The Mad Max franchise was created by George Miller and Byron Kennedy, is presented by Kennedy Miller Mitchell Productions, and distributed by Warner Brothers. Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is Verdi's Dies Irae by Daniel Bautista of DanielBautista.com. Our home on the internet is MadMaxMinute.com. You can follow us on Twitter at MadMaxMinute, like us on Facebook by searching for MadMaxMinute, and join our Facebook listener group, MadMaxMinute Beyond Microphone. If you'd like to support the podcast, visit MadMaxMinute.com, where you can see what's in our Tee Public store, join our Patreon, or even donate to the show to help us keep the tanks full. Thank you for joining us for Minute 33 of Fury Road. We'll see you next time.